While trying to figure out what topic I was going to talk about this week, I came across an article online about a racehorse who was stolen. I never heard anything like that, so I thought it would be an interesting topic to talk about. Then I realized I knew nothing about racing horses. I'd never been to a race, and after I did a little bit of research, I realized there was a lot of jargon I didn't understand, and I knew the guys wouldn't understand either. I pulled some reins and was able to find somebody who was going to teach me the basics about horse racing. This is Susie Bird, a kind woman who knows just about everything about horse racing. She's a trainer, breeder. Well, why don't I just let her introduce herself? I have trained racehorses the majority of my life. Uh, I'm uh, living in Houston, Texas now. I took a little hiatus. And uh, still, you know, I have a couple of horses still in New Mexico, but I'm not training right now. And um, a lot a lot of horses just don't make it. Their uh, bones, tendons, and everything just won't hold up to it. So it takes... Um, it takes a long time. You know, I started out, my grandfather was an equine practitioner. So I started out at a young age learning exactly, you know, how to take care of a horse. You have to know what you're looking for. You have to know the anatomy of a horse and to be able to tell if a horse is sore, if it's uh, lame. And you have to know how to feed a horse. And there's just... Uh, there's so much involved in it, and it takes a long time to get where you know exactly what you're doing. Like It is interesting to think about how much work goes into raising a horse. You know the saying, it takes a village to raise a child? Well, it takes a racetrack to raise a horse. You know, and it's, it's year after year after year. But people that really, they're, a, horse, a racetrack is like a family. The people, you know, they fuss and fight among each other, but if something happens, they all band together, and, you know, it's really, it's it's something, you know, that you just, you either like it or you don't like it, and if you do, it's a lot of hard work, but there's a lot of uh, joy, and there's nothing like watching a horse that you train win a big race. I mean, there's no feeling like that in the whole world. I had known that you could make a couple bucks betting on horses on the track, but I hadn't realized how much money the owners of the horses made. It's still remarkable to me that the industry is so financially stable for being based on living beings racing against each other. One instant and your horse has hit the hay for the whole season, maybe even its entire career. That being said, some breeders just won't take that. So, so much, you know, money involved. But, you know, then there's, there's another part to the to the racing in New Mexico and some of the lesser areas. And that's one reason why I kind of backed out of it because of all the access to drugs that people have and all the cheaters that you have, I guess it's like within any sport, but there was so much contraband and drugs and everything coming across the, the border at Wattis, you know, right now, El Paso and Sunland Park is, is where we ran. That's Sunland Park and Zia and Hobbs are the two biggest racetracks in New Mexico where the purses are the best. And it just got to be, uh, you know, I thought, you know, I've got to get away from this for a while. It was just kind of sad to watch what was going on and things that were happening. And, you know, they're, they're trying to get it rectified, but it's, I don't know, just... 
all the other things that happen in this day and age, it's really hard to keep something like that under control, if you know what I mean. Uh huh. Yeah, it's 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 a very very expensive uh, industry. That's for sure. Yes, it is, and it's it's but it's this, highly this, competitive. Oh, very much so. And this uh, this horse would have been worth, and probably you you never know though. Sometimes you can take a champion set and breed to a a champion mare, and you might get something that you know doesn't doesn't run that good. In fact, there's a trainer, let's see, Todd Pletcher, and one year he had a horse that was bred outstandingly, and I don't know where he got this name. His name was the Green Monkey. <laughs> and this horse couldn't run fast enough to get out of a high lope. And Todd was so disappointed. And some reporters one time asked him, I think it was in Saratoga, how the green monkey was coming along. And Todd told him, well, today he climbed, he climbed a tree and ate a banana. You know, just he was so <laughs> disgusted. Even with, after uh, all that, you want to know how much money the green monkey sold for at auction? $16 million. The Green Monkey holds the record for the most expensive horse sold at auction. Horses are pretty expensive, and they go for prices similar to that all the time. The breeding program in New Mexico is pretty lucrative. If you're the owner and breeder on a horse, if you belong to the New Mexico Racing Association, you, uh, you can make quite a bit of money doing that. And so people that live in New Mexico and uh, a lot of them, I'm going to say more than half, will uh, have some hand in the raising and breeding of New Mexico bred horses because it adds a lot to it. If you've watched the news lately, there is, uh, you remember the horse Arrogate that Bob Baffert had that was horse of the year last year that won in Dubai and he won the big race in Florida, the $12 million race. And then this year they retired a filly that sold at auction for 9 million the other day, really? 9 million. Yeah. And she was booked or is booked to breed to arrogate. Now stop and think what something like that would be worth. I mean, it's just amazing. Now, none of those horses are New Mexico horses, but you get the idea. It's pretty expensive. It's like at one time, a horse we had right here in the United States called Stormcat, it cost 500000 to breed one mare to him. Really? And that's, um, that's it's no guarantee of a live foal. You pay your money, and you better hope that the mare delivers and it's healthy and everything else. Some, some breeders will, if your foal is... Uh, born dead or she aborts the foal or something, you can get a rebreed. But a lot of the big, higher top horses, uh, you t that's a chance you take. As you can tell, horse racing is a multi-billion dollar industry. And there's a lot of people who know that. This week on Mulder is Right, we look into the story about a retired racehorse who back in 1981 was stolen. The case has never been solved, but we at Mulder was Right take our stab at it. Why don't we head right into the main part of the show, and I'll stop with the horse puns. Stay with us.
hey, hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to Mulder Was Right, your weekly uh, dose of conspiracy theories and alternative facts. I'm your host, Brendan, and I'm joined by my good friends. I'm Curtis. I'm Sakif. All right. So uh, before we get into the episode, I just want to uh, say that, hey, guys, if you're not following us on the Anchor app, anchor.fm, uh, it's an app where kind of meet, uh, it's kind of like uh, Twitter meets podcasting, you know, short little blurbs here and there. We talk about our alternative fact every day. And by every day, I mean uh, we play catch up like once a week. But it's additional content for you guys to listen to. Yeah. Um, so definitely check that out. Uh, you could find us on our social media at MWRCast on Facebook and Twitter as well. So uh, definitely check out those places. Anyway, uh, Sakif, do you know anything about our topic today? I haven't the slightest clue. It's kind of what I expected here. Um, so why don't we just, why don't we just dive right in and, and bear with me for a little bit here because, uh, this episode is going to almost be more like a story than we're actually going to be talking about conspiracy theories. So just, just bear with me and know that we're going to be talking, I'm going to be telling a big long story for you guys. Okay. Okay. Sure. I, I brought my hot cocoa. Good, 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 good. Okay, so so I didn't bring any hot cocoa. I'm not ready for this. Can I can I go get some hot cocoa real quickly? Uh, you, know, you have to have hot cocoa for story time. I, I, all all the listeners, please pause the episode and go get some hot cocoa. We'll wait because we'll be paused. Yep. Anyway, uh, and we're back now that now that everyone's got their hot cocoa. Uh, why don't we proceed here now? Do you guys know who Shergar is? Shergar. I thought it was pronounced sugar, like you know, sugar. Oh my god, sugar. It's it's not. It's that's, that's what I was thinking. It's uh, it's Shergar. Shergar. Um, what did he invent? Peanut butter. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I did a lot of research on Shergar, so you know, you think I would know if he uh, invented peanut butter. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was Jimmy Carter, right? Yeah, that also seems equally true. <laughs> anyway, so so let's just let's just dive right in. Uh, Shergar was born on March third, nineteen seventy eight, in County Kildare, Ireland. Uh, he was raised by Aga Khan the fourth until he was about uh, one, and then he was sent uh, to be trained by Michael Stout in Newmarket. Wait, it, um, what year was this? Uh, 1978. So in 1978, a, a one-year-old was sent to train somewhere. Yes. Okay. Uh, he was... He Brennan, w- I... Go ahead. I want to commend you for saying Aga Khan correctly. Just, um, I'm very impressed. Just, just so you know. Um, because, um, as you guys know, I was raised Muslim by my parents. I'm not religious, but I still know about my culture and... You said it right. I just want you to know that. I'm very proud of you right now. Oh, uh, there's there's going to be a lot of time for me to mispronounce names in this episode. Just if you, so you mispronounce know. anything, I'm going to correct you because I feel like this is going to be the most opportune time for me to correct you okay. on anything you say wrong. Well, thank you. Uh, 
Uh, anyway, so so Shergar was sired by grand nephew, who uh, has many different achievements, uh, including Is this a dog. It's not a dog. Are you sure? <laughs> oh, I'm I'm sure is it's it a not horse? a dog. Is it some sort of non-human? Uh, Shergar is a horse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Because, like, just already, the names of these people uh, seem to be not human names. Uh, Aga Khan the Fourth is a real name. <laughs> he is a real person, Curtis. He is a he is, he is a real the person. Spiritual leader. He is the spiritual leader of the Ismaili Muslim community of the Shia Imami Ismaili Muslim community. It's Sakith is a hundred percent correct. And is it also and the name of a horse? It's not. Okay, that was a real person. That's a real person who owned horses. Yes. Okay. Uh, who? Who's? Wait. Which name? The one you just told me about. Oh no! Aga, yeah, Aga Khan is. We yeah, we don't I need know. to get into this. Yeah, if we you need just to get told into me this. It. We'll get into this. I. But I did he is research. The spiritual leader of yeah. Uh. Anyway, so uh. So Aga Khan is um, it's it's like a spiritual name. It's like a given name. So oh, it's not okay. like it's it's not his actual name. Um, every His names like Jeremy, every leader of the, uh, Shia Islam, uh, Shia Islam group. Um, they're, they're all given the name of, uh, Aga Khan. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the Dalai Lama, right? It's like a title. Yeah, exactly. It's a title. Um, so why don't we talk about, uh, specifically the, uh, fourth Aga Khan, which is the current Aga Khan. Um, and I'm going to butcher this, Akif. So, uh, just be ready for that. Uh, the name the name is uh, Prince Shah Karim Al uh, Husayni. Prince Shah Karim Al Husayni. Yeah. Ah man, I even butchered that because yeah. I got because I threw an extra H. But it's Prince Shah Karim Al Husayni. Well, there you go. And so and so he is known as the Aga Khan the Fourth, and he is the fourth Aga Khan. Okay. Um, he is a uh, he is a British business uh, magnate. Uh, hor- uh, racehorse owner and breeder. Um, and uh, and once again, we already talked about like, uh, sort of what what he's like, what his title is, like what he's the prince to, and everything. It's the second largest branch of of Islam. Um, and so, uh, either way, uh, Aga Khan the fourth is known as one of the 10 richest royals. Guess how much he's worth, net net value. Uh, he's worth 100 million royals. Me. Yes, Sakif. We got 100 million oh royals. Um, uh, 10 billion dollars. Okay, it's only 800 million, but it's still <laughs> a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Yeah. Anyway, so so he's known for breeding horses, and Shergar was one of the horses that he bred. Um, Shergar was a stallion. Uh, his color was bay, which means like a light brown color. Um, B-A-E? B-A-Y. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, he had a large white streak on his face and four white socks. And Does that mean his hooves were white, or did he have like... Four very distinct socks that were always with him. So, so what that means is, um, is that he had uh, basically just white markings at the bottom of his feet. His mm. hooves were not uh, were not white, but it looked like he was wearing socks. That's very all nice. the time. That's yes, good, yeah. good job, Sugar, Sugar, Sugar. 
Um, and so Shigar uh, was loved for his quirky racing demeanor. Um, oftentimes he would race with his tongue uh, hanging out of his mouth, flapping in the wind. Oh. Yeah. Is, uh... He kind of sounds like a dog. <laughs> uh, you know, he's not like a dog, really. But uh, is he a dog? I, gu- I, I he, guess I'm, I still think he's a dog. He's not a dog. <laughs> he's a horse. Um, but I mean, like some people could think he was a dog. I guess like Curtis. People like Curtis. People like Curtis. Um, so so how race like? I was able to talk to somebody uh, about uh, about horse racing because I know nothing about horse racing. As I'm assuming that you guys don't know much about horse racing. I know generally about. Zero racing and like i know you have to start somewhere and end somewhere and i know you want to be fast and i know that horses exist and are things that can race um so based on that i kind of know everything there is to know about it uh i mean and i know that people bet money on horses that's that's very true that's a big thing like the kentucky derby yep yep we're not gonna be talking about the kentucky derby because this is an irish horse so uh he only ran races in uh, in the in Europe. So. Is it true that if you take an Irish horse and you put it on American soil, it just won't work? Like they'll just fall over. Like they're just not really compatible. Uh, it's kind of like trying to use an Android phone with like an Apple charger. Uh, I don't think that the place that you're born really has anything to do with it. Oh, the dirt's kind of the same. You mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I they mean, the thing. Still go. Yeah, yeah, they'll still go. Oh, okay. Um, but uh. Just generally, if you're a European horse, you're just going to stay in the European circuit because it's travel costs across the ocean for a horse is terrible. You know how much it costs for a horse to take a cruise across the ocean? I don't know that. A bunch of money. You try and fit him into a cruise ship room, it's terrible. What if I did know how much that costs? You know... Would would that just, like, betray everything you thought you knew about me? I would be impressed. Anyway, so... So... we, We started this tangent, but basically... Um, horses generally start racing uh, when they're two years old. Okay. Um, and so Shergar would enter his first season in the year 1980, and he would win his first race by two lengths. Uh, so he was two horses ahead of the other horse. Exactly, two horses ahead of the That's other pretty horse. Pretty far ahead of the other horse. Yeah. Um, Shergar would then take second in his uh, second race of his first season, only losing once again by two lengths. Okay. Um, so, so, so Shikar was, was, was pretty remarkable from the start. He did, he did pretty well. Um, and then moving into his second season, uh, which is, you know, he's three years old now. He's a, he's a big boy. And so this would sort of start the legend of Shergar. Um, his debut in his three-year-old season was at the Guardian Classic Trial at uh, Sandown Park. And Shergar would go and win the race by 10 lengths. That's that's a lot of lengths. That's a lot of lengths. It's 10 horses ahead. 10 horses. With the other horse. That is quite long. Yeah. That's a that's a racehorse if I ever heard of one. Uh, he's he's definitely a racehorse. So and so and and so this was a trial. Um, and the, and the, the trial was going into the Epsom Derby. Now the Epsom Derby is, it's a pretty remarkable race. It's, it's, it's really big. Um, you, you have to complete a trial to get in. So, you know, it's pretty big. Um, and there's a lot of money riding on this race. Um, 
and Shergar was entering into the race as as the favorite for like like to win it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the beginning of the race, uh, Shergar pulled uh, towards the lead early on, but he was not in first. And it wasn't until towards the very end that Shergar was able to pull ahead. Uh, it was a close race between Shergar and Glint of Gold, another horse. I really want to go to like the horse naming convention because there are some weird horse names There's, that we're going to talk about. They're really excellent. I, I Horse naming is the only perfected art on the planet. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> That's a very definitive statement you made there, Curtis. Yeah, I think horse naming is at its maximum and that all other forms of communication and expression should try to be that perfect. I I agree. Uh, So John Mathias, uh, Glint of Gold's writer, uh, once said, uh, I told myself I'd achieved my life's ambition. Only then did I discover there was another horse on the horizon. Shergar was able to pull ahead around the last curve and won the race once again by 10 lengths, which holds the record for the longest win margin for this, for this Derby. Okay. To this day. Impressive. So, so he still holds that Impressive. record. Um, uh, Walter Swimburne, uh, Shergar's writer and Shergar were, uh, national heroes of Ireland. Once he did that, everyone was like, man, this horse is going places. This horse saved, is great. They kind of saved Ireland. Exactly. They saved Ireland. Great. And Ireland needs, needs need, yeah. Ireland needed saving at this time because there is a lot of stuff going down in Ireland right now. Yeah, they had all those uh, like bad stuff happening. I forget what they called it. What was it called? <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, there was like a whole area of Ireland called the Troubles. Yeah, yeah, that's not what. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not what you want where you live to be called. No, you know, you, we always talk about. Well, there's the bad part of town, but in Ireland they just say, "Well, there, there's the troubles." I mean, I mean, <laughs> do you guys, do you guys know, um, uh, do you guys know about the IRA? Yeah, yeah, the IRA bombings and, and whatnot. Yeah, that would basically just like rampant guerrilla warfare yeah i mean the ira is i believe it's the irish what i are irish republic uh here i have it written you down don't know somewhere. why are you just making it up i have it written down somewhere <laughs> uh the provisional irish republic army okay yeah um there first of all there have been many uh there are many instances of the ira uh but the one we're going to be talking about today is the uh Provisional Irish Republic Army. And basically, they they don't really like the fact that uh, that Ireland is uh, part of the UK. They don't Can like you blame it. them? I mean, I don't know. Um, yeah, neither I, do I. I'm just like <laughs> Irish-British politics. We're just here just, at Mulder's Right. I don't... Yeah, we talk don't talk about stuff we only kind of know about a little bit, but <laughs> it's what we do. We so. don't we don't know the politics uh, between <laughs> Ireland and the UK in the 1980s. Yeah, but they were complicated yeah. and and violent. I mean, basically, this, yeah. I mean, I mean, this was basically a terrorist group, and so there was just like a part of there was just a part of Ireland that was just like 
hey, you shouldn't go there because it's kind of sketchy. <laughs> There's the troubles. There's the troubles. Um, and so and so and so once Shigar, uh won the race, basically, you know, Ireland sort of rejuvenated its 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 excitement, and basically he's a he's a huge hero. You know, go Shigar. Um, and Shigar that year uh, went on to win three derbies. Three different derbies. Wow. And so, uh, but unfortunately, for whatever reason, um, Shigar, Shigar's uh, racing career ended after his, after his uh, third year season. Okay. Um, now, I did a... I did a little bit of research, um, and basically, uh, what sort of happens is is that um, if a horse race is going, or sorry, a racehorse is going to, uh, if they're going to go on and win uh, more races and race longer than age three or four, they generally want to uh, basically castrate the horse, and then these horses, uh, they're able to to like race longer and it almost makes them faster. I think, I think that's the logic behind Probably it. Like, so they're cutting off the, like, I don't know exactly, but I'm assuming it cuts off. Like when you castrate an animal, it, it changes the hormonal balance mm-hmm. in that animal. So probably what it does is it alters the hormonal balance to keep the, the horse racing faster and longer. Yeah. It's a similar concept to the castration of little boys back in the, um, you know the what am I trying to think? Um, like uh, not Gregorian chant era, but but you know like there were there was like I I don't remember if it was like the Baroque period or before it was probably before the Baroque period. But you know there's like a period of time in history where you know young men were castrated to maintain this high voice. Okay, so they could have like a, a more nice tenor or whatever you would call that. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, to maintain this upper tenor range as well as also maintain like a counter tenor range because women back in the day also did not you know were not singing or at least professionally it was men so they would castrate little boys and they would be taking women's parts that's horrible um but i understand it was very horrible i know a lot of people who would give their right nut to be a good singer in uh, well they took both of them though okay, yeah okay yeah i mean it was anyway <laughs> um it's it and and so a racehorse, um, once they're castrated, they can race to about, I believe it was something like six, about six or seven. Age six? Yeah, age six or seven. Or, wow. And horses, like, live a long time. Yeah, they like, do. Um, horses live for about 30 to 40 years. I mean, I mean, I mean theoretically, I theoretically, you can race your horse, you know. You can just put your horse in a race, uh, no matter what the age is. But... Um, they will do badly. Because exactly. They will do badly. Just like seven-year-olds don't play professional baseball. Yes, correct. Because they're too old yes. to do well. They're too young to do well. 70-year-olds. Yeah, uh, I heard, I heard seven. S- <laughs> <laughs> I think there is a minimum age to play in the <laughs> Major League Baseball. <laughs> I mean, I, I still think six years old for a horse is still too young. I mean, I'm sure a horse could race longer if if they wanted to, you know, like, and, and successfully, I mean, but, but we, I guess we have a similar concept, you know, like you said, baseball, you know, basketball players, I think retire within their thirties 
they retire really fast if I remember. If I mean I don't I don't know a lot about basketball, but and anyway, I think the same thing applies to football players. Anyway, so so this would mean that Shergar was going to uh, enter his first uh, season as a stud, and we'll get into that in a minute. But um, uh, Aga Khan. Uh, basically, he uh, uh, the reason why he retired Shergar, and I'll just read you a quote right here. Um, obviously, one has to think about the future. You know, I have a lot of mares, and I breed my own horses, so this horse is important to me as a breeder. Okay, so he he wants to breed Shergar exactly instead of cut off his testicles and make him race longer exactly and you can't breed a horse once you've cut off their testicles yes because that's how science works correct um so so aga khan actually was was quite smart here um he began to sell shares um for the horse so basically any money that the horse was going to then make anyone who had a share would then receive some of that money okay um so each share that someone could buy uh, was two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. It's a lot of money, and that was in that was money in like nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, he kept six shares for himself, and the horse was valued at about ten million pounds. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. Um. Now, I couldn't actually find any information on this. I'm not sure if that's 10 million pounds in that day or if it's 10 million pounds today. Uh, but if it's not, um, that is 35 million in the year 1981. Uh, yep. So, so but big dollars. A lot of money. Um. So and 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 Shigar was never sold, so he isn't ranked on uh, on any of the charts that I found on basically the most expensive racehorse. Mm-hmm. But uh, supposedly the most expensive thoroughbred, uh, brace yourself here, um, was the Green Monkey, which sold for sixteen million dollars in two thousand four. Great. I, I'm sorry. Did you say sixteen million or billion? Million. Million, okay. You know where we we got this we got this thing between us. Sometimes it's hard to hear. You know? Yep. So, but regardless, sixteen million dollars. Holy crap! That's a lot of money. Shergar's final record, final racing record. Uh, he only raced in eight races. He won six races. Came in second in one of them and zero third places. So, in only one race, he didn't place. Okay. They don't even count after three? No. No, they don't count They have this three. whole big organization. They don't bother counting who comes <laughs> in what place they after three. They do not three. count after three. It just matters so little. Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, a horse that wins six, like, six first places. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Especially when he only raced eight of them. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the, the total money that he had won uh, was in this... Um, in the time of of nineteen eighty one, uh, four hundred thirty six thousand pounds, which in today's standards is uh, one million five hundred thirty nine thousand and eighty pounds. 
which is even more okay, dollars. Okay, wow. Yeah. So, so what I'm trying to show you guys is that horse racing is a big, big industry. It is very lucrative. It but is highly expensive. This is a lot, like, especially since this guy raced eight times, each of these races lasted about two minutes. Yeah. This horse raced for about 16 minutes of its life and and made all this money and was worth all this money. And yeah, it's, it's absurd. It's absurd. Um, you can actually find, uh, him winning the Epsom Derby online and, uh, uh, the announcer is really hilarious. Did he get a bunch of salt? Really excited. Did Epsom he what? Salt? No. Uh, anyway, so, so he would, so he would enter, um, his first season as a stud, which basically a stud is, um, is a horse that's sole purpose is to have sex with specific horses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> specific horses. He breeds. That's that's what he does. And so, okay. So so during his first season as a stud, he produced thirty five foals. Yeah. Okay. So he... so thirty five times he was you know he uh, he made a baby. So yeah, he had and other horses made it. I assume yes. also thirty five other horses. Yes, made yes, thirty five other horses. The thing is, is that this is like once again, this is a highly lucrative, uh, highly lucrative business. Mm-hmm. So every time that he would breed with another horse, the syndicate, basically the people who owned Shergar, um, Aga Khan, and the collective, um, they charged anywhere from fifty thousand pounds at eighty thousand pounds. To basically have the chance to breed with Shergar. If it failed, they still would get paid. It's like if it's like a miscarriage or whatever. Right, like if it doesn't take. Yeah, if it doesn't take. Yeah. So so the weirdest thing about this, or I think it's the funniest thing at least. Um, so basically, um, if the offspring that, that Shergar and a and you know a lady horse would then have, um, if it did well in racing. Uh, that fee that they paid up front would then double. Okay. <laughs> so basically, if it did good, what? if it did good, they'd get more money. So it's passive income. Yeah, I guess on 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 a on an offspring. Yeah. So so basically, you know, not only is like Shigar is worth way more as a breeding horse than he is as a racehorse right now, and so. And and I but his value you would have to think his value comes from the fact that he was a racehorse turned well yes yes horse. yes yes you know yeah you know I think it would be great uh, I would love to own the breeding rights of uh, someone or something like how great would it be to have like the breeding rights of Brad Pitt whenever Brad Pitt has sex you get paid oh my gosh that sounds great wait whenever he has sex or whenever he has a child. Just whenever he has sex. Whenever he has sex, because theoretically the intent is to bear a child, and even if you have a miscarriage, they still get paid. Yeah, but what if it's just, um, what if it's just, what what am I trying to Protected sex? Well, that. Yeah, protected recreational sex. Well, you know. Like, not with the intention of bearing children. We'll have to get into the details with that. Uh, but that's for another time. It, also, an enormous human rights infringement. <laughs> uh, enormous. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Anyway, so so Shigar was about to enter his second season as a stud. For whatever reason, um, they once again still 
you know, count these as seasons, even though it's not a sporting event anymore. Yeah, right. It's not like <laughs> you need to, okay, you can only uh, mate your horse between July and August. <laughs> anyway, so he was about to enter his second season as a stud when tragedy stuck, uh, struck. Shargar was living in the uh, Balamy stud where he was groomed daily and cared for. Wait, so he was a stud living in a place called a stud? Yes. Man, they got to come up with another word for that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a farm. He lived on a farm. Okay. Anyway, so uh, head groomer Jim Fitzgerald, who lived at uh, at the stud. Yeah, had... it's, like, it's like I'm a man. It's like saying I live in a man <laughs> instead of an apartment or a house. You want to come back to my man? <laughs> <laughs> I understand I understand how it sounds. Okay, so there's another guy living in the stud with yeah. the stud. Yes, yes. I mean, and 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 there are other studs there. Who like lives he's with not the, the horse. Stud. Who lives with a horse? Like he lives in a barn. He lives in the barn outside. And and note note that this is like 1981. So uh, we hadn't figured out how to not live with horses yet. So what I'm trying to say is is that you know we don't have security cameras. We don't have okay super high technology here. Uh, Shigar lived in a barn where he like his. He lived behind a wooden door, and it was just latched shut. Okay. Um, so head groomer uh, Jim Fitzgerald uh, had just turned in for the night. At about 8.30, there was a knock at the door. Bernard, uh, Fitzgerald's son, uh, answered the door to find three men in police uniforms wearing ski masks. Uh, they pushed Bernard to the ground and made their way inside the house. According to Fitzgerald... The men were very calm and referred to, uh, referred to each other as Cresswell. One of the men said, We've come for Shigar. We want two million for him. Wait, they they want two million for him? Yes. They want to buy the horse? We've, they've come for Shigar. This is a kidnapping, Curtis. They want two million for him. Two million for him. They, this is a... They're burying weapons? They have... They have weapons. So, but yeah. So why they don't want to just take Shigar? They want to pay two million dollars for him? No, no. It's 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 a ransom. This is a kidnapping. That's the ransom. Oh, it's a ransom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They want so money saying, for. Give his me release. two million right now, and I'll just leave. Well, no. And I won't even. I mean, bother. I mean, we I won't mean, even do the whole thing. I mean, but there's no way that Jim Fitzgerald. That'd be an efficient way to do a kidnapping, though. You it just would. say, hey, up front, we can skip the whole deal. You just give me the money. <laughs> we don't have to go through the I'll traumatizing, like, you know, anything. It'll be way easier. Trust me. I want to do it this way, too. <laughs> <laughs> you see, unfortunately, Jim Fitzgerald, while he gets paid pretty well, uh, he does not get paid. Uh, he, does just, he doesn't have two million. He doesn't have a cool two mil just in his back <laughs> just pocket. Just in his back, back pocket. Back in his pajamas in the <laughs> no, middle of the doesn't. night. Um. So Fitzgerald was then forced to load Shergar into a stolen horse trailer they brought with them. Um, when he made it uh, outside... Wait, hold on. This was a, a stolen horse trailer? Yes. Was it a stolen horse trailer? Because they're stealing a horse. They're going to put a stolen horse in it. Or did they steal a horse trailer? Well, it's, well, it's, it's both, <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Um, apparently, apparently earlier that night, like they pulled up with the horse trailer. Um, and like Jim Fitzgerald thought he heard something, looked outside, didn't see anything. was like, eh, okay. Okay. And then got back to what he was doing, like reading the newspaper. So, uh, really needs to be more attentive. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, 
um, he, when he made it outside to load, the, uh, the intruders, uh, you know, we initially started with three. Now there's eight. So eight dudes. So um, a bunch, so more people showed up? Some more people. Okay. And so... Uh, this he, isn't like an orange soda situation where the not, numbers just change a whole bunch? Okay. <laughs> um, so Fitzgerald uh, then, you know, loads Shergar up into the, up into the trailer. Um, and Fitzgerald was then forced into a car and driven away from his home. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> that you're just fucking with him at that point. Like, and we're gonna make you go over here. <laughs> uh, Fitzgerald recalls, oh, I can still remember that night uh, in that car from from them lads. All sorts <laughs> of them were racing through my head uh, about how they might or about what they might do to me. One of them with a revolver was very aggressive. Um, so it's the real voice of Fitzgerald. Is that supposed to be your Irish accent? It's it's not good. It's not good. That was Fitzgerald it, himself. It was he that just was, walked in the room. That was, and I thought and mine that. was bad. That was Fitzgerald. Um, I've been practicing all week, but you know, whenever I try and do an accent, it just it, all my practice just goes away. Of course. Um, anyway, so after a few miles, he was told to get out of the car, not to turn around, and not to call the police. So his they just want him to face one direction for eternity. His <laughs> his response was, Oh, I can tell you I didn't look around once. I was happy to be on the ground. He walked to the next down. Was and he in a helicopter brother. before that? Well, he, no, no, he was in a car. Yeah, but... So he wasn't on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so he walked to the next town and what happened? And then called his Did brother. Did he call the cops, you said? He called his brother. Yeah. You know, I'd wait a minute and then I'd turn around. Like, I'd let the car leave and then be, and then be like, okay, I'm going to turn around and you know <laughs> anyway so um his brother gave him a ride home and he returned and found his family was unarmed or unharmed <laughs> they were also unarmed okay unarmed and unharmed <laughs> yes um and so and so now we play the biggest game of telephone i didn't actually write all the steps on who called who because for whatever reason on every single article that i read about him they were like then he called the studs manager who called so-and-so, who called so-and-so, who called so-and-so, and and then it finally made it up to, uh, like, some, like, Irish higher-up. Like, I think it was, like, the Irish president or something. That's probably wrong. But anyway, and so then, (laughs) and then eventually, um, the correct people knew what happened. And so, by 4 a.m., um, uh, the Garda, which is, like, the Irish police, uh, was notified and they began uh, the nation, uh, one of the nation's largest manhunts. Although I guess it really wasn't a manhunt, now was it? It was a horse hunt. It's a horse, horse, horse hunt. Anyway, so uh, note that at about eight thirty, and they were probably gone by nine, nine o'clock. So it took you know like five hours. Why didn't he just call the cops immediately? Because he was told not to call the cops. Oh well, what a stupid asshole! Like call the fucking police. <laughs> like- <laughs> he was probably thinking if something happens to this horse I'm screwed okay terrified. but like you still have to call the cops I mean, I, he was real terrified because he didn't turn around he walked <laughs> straight ahead he probably he went an around. extra couple miles because he wouldn't turn around they probably he, just dropped him off right in front of his house and said don't turn around just walk forward so so, so the reason why they actually took Fitzgerald uh, was because he was given a password and that password would be how they would negotiate. Basically, they would make phone calls, and they would have to use that password. 
with the horse snappers. Okay, so only Fitzgerald could negotiate with them. Well, he knew the password. Anyone right. could anyone could negotiate with them if they had the password. So he could just tell anyone the password. Exactly. He could tell anyone the password. He could have he could he could have so told the press the po- he could tell the press that the password was, I don't know, like uh Neptune and then the next day everyone knew about it. Right. So what was the so point everyone, of the password then? It was I mean Theoretically, he didn't tell everybody. <laughs> and by theoretically, I mean he didn't tell everybody. I feel like I've I got nothing to lose. I'm telling. I'm fucking up shit as much as I can. If Fitzgerald, I'm Fitzgerald, I mean, I mean, I mean, what do you mean you have nothing to lose? I got nothing to lose. Your they life. Already, you have your life to they lose. They already took my fucking horse. That's all I had. I'm the guy who watches the horse, and they already took it. Well, he he has a bunch of other horses. Remember? Okay. Well, I still got them. It doesn't. <laughs> I'm not gonna lose them. Anyway, what happens next? But what if they come back and they take those horses, Curtis? The, I, you don't know. I've got. They might be like, "Hey, you fucking called the cops. Now we're taking the." He rest literally of your like has the fucking like president of Ireland and the royal police or whatever like guarding his house now. <laughs> it's it's true. So, uh, anyway, so so the horse snappers. Um, they clearly knew their stuff. They they understood how the plan was going to work. Um, the following day was one of the largest horse auctions in Europe taking place. So there were a million horse trailers going back and forth all along the roads. So it was going to be nearly impossible to find Shergar because there's a million horse there's trailers. a bunch of horse trailers, exactly. right. Um, so Shergar's uh, story made it to the headlines on every Irish publication and all of Europe knew about the Irish horse being stolen. Um, within 24 hours of the horse nap, the captors called uh, BBC Belfast um, and planned to negotiate. I don't know why they decided to call a news company. Well, they don't have the fucking password. It's- I know they don't have the password. <laughs> <laughs> How are they going to negotiate? Well, Fitzgerald well, was like, why well, didn't tell them the password? So well, and also, like, when, you're th- when you think about it, like, what other logical step do they have? They go like call, call Fitzgerald the very next day. <laughs> call the Aga Khan. I mean, call Fitzgerald. <laughs> but but like they obviously they kidnapped this horse. Like they they horse snapped this horse, and like they're not just gonna call back the owner and be like, "Uh, we took your horse. Here it is. You're welcome. Bye." Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. They're not gonna do that. They obviously did it with. They did it with the purpose of getting money. And if it's on national tell, if like it's already this widespread, there's no point of going to the auction, you know, because of course they're not going to go to the auction. People are going to know it's Shergar. But, but, but theoretically, if you are going to try and, if you're going to try and negotiate and trying to, uh, to do like a hostage type situation where you have kidnapped somebody and you want a ransom, theoretically you call the person that it means the most to, not just like the press. Mm hmm. Anyway, maybe they wanted to make a big deal out of and it. And so, and so, and I mean, and this is the first story. Now, yeah. now, just note that within 24 hours, uh, like everyone knew about Shergar being stolen at this point. And so, um, there are like going to be some conflicting stories here, and some very conflicting sort of evidence. And so, we're not entirely sure exactly who called. BBC Belfast that day. Theoretically, it was the horse dappers, but we, but we don't know for sure. Anyway, so (laughs) 
this also gets weirder. Um, the publication uh, then decided to send uh, three sports journalists uh, to the Europa Hotel the following day to negotiate the terms for Shergar's release. Once again, I don't know why you've decided that, hey, these sports journalists are going to do a good job with this. Mm-hmm. That's not their job. It's it's not their job. Horse hostage negotiating. You can put that on a business it's card. not a class you take in college. Put that on your resume after that. Uh, anyway, so Derek Thompson, um, not to be confused with any other famous Derek Thompsons, because I couldn't find anything about this guy. Uh, but he was one of the journalists that uh, made his way to the Europa Hotel, where he claims it was like being a movie star. Uh, that that was that was real bad. We're just going to back up, and we're just going to read it normally. <laughs> we're done with the accent. Uh, it was like being a film star. There were cameras around. Uh, once he made it to the hotel... This of, guy's a journalist, and he's excited about cameras? Yeah. <laughs> what is he doing? I don't know. <laughs> what kind of journalist is this guy? Uh, Maybe a, pr- a paper journalist. He's a, he's a horse journalist. He's got a bunch of horse he did journals. A, he did, yeah, ho- horse racing. That was his, that was his forte. Okay. Uh, anyway, so um, he, uh, once he made it into the hotel, a voice from reception said, Mr. Thompson, uh, would you pick up the hotel phone? Uh, Thompson did as told. And from the other end, uh, literally straight out of a movie is, is right here. Um, a voice from the other end warned him, we're watching you from across the road. Uh, Thompson claims that the uh, that the voice was uh, very harsh and uh, cold and sharp. Okay. So, um, uh, Thompson uh, looked across the road. Uh, he saw that there were a bunch of blacked out windows, so he couldn't actually see anybody across the road. Um, but uh, I mean, that's literally like a movie moment right there. Yep. Um, and then Thompson was given instructions uh, to go to a farm. 30 miles outside of Belfast. And so Thompson and the other negotiators made their way out to the farm. Uh, Quote, we were lost, Thompson recalls. Totally lost. It was the middle of troubles. Uh, We were miles outside of Belfast, going up a single track road. Suddenly, five guys in uh, balakavas and machine guns appear in front of us. We slam on the brakes and think, hang on, these guys are just going to spray the car. Uh, they've got us. Uh, they've got us over not to negotiate the release of the Derby winner, but to kill us. Uh, then this guy comes around to my side and motions with his machine gun to wind the window down. So I did, and I was sitting there, six inches away from a gun pointed straight at me, held by a guy with two holes uh, for his eyes and one for his mouth. He said to me, "Are you Derek Thompson?" I looked at him and said, "Yes." And he said, "We're the police." To which I replied, thank God for that. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I just think that it's funny that, for whatever reason, the police are uh, yeah, wearing, why... wearing ski masks yeah, wearing weird. machine guns. That's not what police do. <laughs> Theoretically. Yeah. Uh, but apparently these, these police are doing that. Okay. And so the police took them to the farmhouse, where Thompson spent the next eight hours making phone calls to the horse nappers, beginning each with a new password. So basically at the end of each phone call, he'd get a new password okay. for then the next phone call. He only made eight to ten phone calls that day. Spent a long time on each one? Um, 
or just a lot of time in between? He made he made a lot of calls um, and trying to get the kidnappers uh, to stay on the line for 90 seconds because at that time, that was how long it took to trace a call. Okay. Um, unfortunately, uh, he wasn't able to do that ever until uh, 1 a.m. in the morning. Um, he had a conversation with them. It lasted 95 seconds. And Thompson turned to the policeman after the phone call was over. He's like, did you get that? Where are they? And then the policeman responds with, quote, I'm sorry, Mr. Thompson, but the man who traces uh, the calls went off shift at midnight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Are you kidding? I'm not. This is a real quote. What are you guys doing? Nobody can press the button on the call tracing machine. Come on. (laughs) I'm sure it's, you don't have an overnight I'm sure it's guy a little bit more complicated some, than that is... but yeah you should have an overnight guy especially if like if you're gonna do your, this your like... whole you're trying to find this horse and it's Ireland's favorite horse and you're like yeah man you know Cody you go home at 12 <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow <laughs> we won't need you over the night Anyway, um, so throughout those phone calls, um, they could never get past the opening demands. Um, the kidnappers wanted $2 million, but they couldn't come to an agreement. Okay. Uh, because once again, Thompson is not qualified to make these sort of demands. Great. Or talk to people who have horse-napped. Great. So, yeah. So he's, he's not qualified, so they didn't really come to a conclusion. Um, at 6 a.m. the following morning, he received a call claiming that, quote, the horse has had an accident. He's dead. He had an accident. Ran into a bullet. Tripped uh, it, on a sword. Theoretically, yes. Caught on fire accidentally. He caught on fire. <laughs> um, so, so spontaneous combustion. So to this day, we don't have a solid conclusion on who stole the horse. This horse has never been seen again. I mean, and there's no way that we'd see it now because the horses would be dead if it was still living. Right. Because it's too long. Too long. Just like Hitler. Yeah. Um. There, there have been a couple theories on sort of who took Shergar and why they took Shergar. Um, and this is this is like a huge, a huge thing that happened in Europe at the time because, I mean. Horses have been stolen before, but, like, no one stole, like, the pride of a nation. Yeah, no one's ever stole Shigar before. No one's ever stole Shigar before. Um, and, so, and, so, and so we have two different theories we're going to talk about today. Um, and we're going to start with, with the IRA. Now, we talked a little bit about the IRA already. Um, but theoretically, the IRA is, is the ones who stole Shigar. And... Uh, based based on the information, it seems as though they are the most likely uh, candidate to have stolen Shergar, as well as there have been books released um, sort of saying that they stole Shergar, and, uh, and there's an article online um, from supposedly a credible news source that specifically says that they have found the information and exactly who stole Shergar. So theoretically, it's a solved case, but once again, they have never, they've never been 
they've never been uh like charged at all okay um so the motive for for the IRA to to steal the horse uh would be that they could use the money that they would get from the ransom uh to purchase arms for their cause and the mastermind behind the plot uh was Kevin Mallon now, no one knows who Kevin Mallon is. He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, but he is referenced on Wikipedia. So I was able to get a little bit of information um, about Kevin Mallon. But in 1969, Kevin Mallon was in prison uh, serving a term uh, for murder. Okay. So he's, he's not a good dude, uh, but he was associated with the IRA initially already. Uh, there were two other guys in prison with him, and the IRA... Uh, decided that they needed to break him out of prison. And they immediately be, uh, began to make plans to break him out, as well as the two others. Uh, and uh, here's a quote from, from, the, from the article. Um, uh, the first attempt involved explosives, which had been smuggled into the prison, uh, which were, were to be used to blow a hole in the door, which would give the prisoners access to the exercise yard. From there, they would scale a rope ladder um, down over the exterior wall uh, by members uh, of the IRA's Dublin Brigade, who would have a getaway car waiting to complete the escape. Alrighty. Now, it literally sounds as ridiculous as like the plot of the show Prison Break. Yeah, breaking out of prisons is pretty hard, so you you have to be pretty bold with it. You know, you know, sometimes sometimes just a simpler plan makes a lot of sense. Um, so the plan actually failed. Okay. That initial plan failed uh, when the prisoners could not gain access to the exercise yard, and the rope ladder was spotted. So they decided to make new plans. So they just blew a hole in the wall, and that's all they. Yeah, did. <laughs> they <laughs> they blew a hole in the wall, and then uh, they and realized then someone noticed that for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very surprised that the guards noticed this because <laughs> the guards in this prison are, are terrible guards. Uh, on October 31st, an American calling himself Mr. Leonard hired a helicopter pilot to take him up so he could, tape, uh, so he could take some aerial pictures. The pilot was Captain Thompson Boys. Um, he was instructed to fly to uh, Stradbilly, uh, so he could get some of his uh, photographic equipment. I don't know why he didn't just have his photo equipment <laughs> with him, but uh, I mean, because that's that's what every normal person would do. You already got the helicopter. You might as well take it to go get your stuff. Take it to go get your stuff. And then, well, so so Captain Thompson boys was uh, he landed in a big field because that's because that's where he was told to land. Right and. There's no way that you know some guy had his <laughs> had his uh, like equipment right. just sitting in a field down there in the field by that forest. That's where all my cameras are <laughs> down by that forest <laughs> where there's no buildings or anything. And so um, once the copter landed, uh, uh, masked men appeared from the trees. Right. They walked up and turned, held held boys at gunpoint. Turned that helicopter back on. Uh, yeah. So they so they foist or fo- they foist. <laughs> <laughs> they forced boys uh, to fly towards Dublin uh, to avoid being de- – uh, and they had him fly really low so he would avoid being detected. Okay. Uh, around 3.30, uh, the copter uh, swung in and landed in the prison yard um, with the help of Malin literally directing 
he was he was directing the the copper. Wow. I just think that's really funny. Wow. It's just like like they were playing football, like like in the prison yard, and uh, I just I I just think it would be pretty funny just to see like Malin just like hold on guys stop 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 yeah you're good just, you're good yeah, you're yeah. good bring it back bring it back and okay. <laughs> um, anyway, so theoretically this would uh this would probably people would probably notice this right. Yeah, this would probably raise some flags, but and like, not just Malin's flag trying to, you know, land the land the copter. Yeah. Um, so the prison guards thought that this copter was bringing in the minister of defense. So no actions were taken. They figure like a helicopter's landing here. It must supposed to be landing here. Yeah, that's but, what I think when I see a helicopter landing somewhere. They yeah, must but, know what they're doing. Yeah, but if you're like working at the prison. Theoretically, you know who's supposed to show up. Yeah, but who's just gonna take a fucking helicopter and land in the middle of the prison yard? You know, it was These pretty. People. It was pretty bold. <laughs> I told you, you have to be bold. You have to be bold. Um, it wasn't until uh, fights began to break out around the helicopter that guards knew something was up. Malin and the others boarded the helicopter and escaped the compound. Right, because the other prisoners were like, "I would also like to leave." Prison. I would also like to get in your copter. <laughs> Please, can I get in the helicopter too, sir? Mr. Captain Boys. So I looked up to see how rare it was for, for people to actually escape prison. Apparently, it's not as rare as you think it is. Okay. Um, I didn't actually write down a number because I didn't count. This was a really long list of people who escaped from prison. Um, so so it turns out uh, it's hard to escape from prison, or prison, but not that hard. Okay. Anyway, so, so Kevin Mallon. Clearly, he's a badass. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's doing. So he was able to plan all of this. He was able to plan the whole uh, uh, when to when to grab the horse, you know, all that stuff. Um, now, Sean O'Callaghan, uh, the writer of the book The Informer, um, would cement a lot of these theories related to the IRA. If his book is correct, um, it very much seems as though the IRA is behind the kidnapping. Mm-hmm. Um, O'Callaghan in his book specifically says that they are behind the kidnapping. And basically he sat down with, with an IRA uh, operative and basically just took his story. Okay. And so that's what, that's what the informer's about. Um, uh, so, so one of them in the group uh, sit, sat down and talked about the uh, Shergar incident. Uh, quote, one of the gang strongly suggested to me Shergar uh, had been killed w- or had been killed within hours. They couldn't cope with him. Uh, he went demented in the horse box, injured his leg, and they killed him. Uh, so, uh, one of them. I like the sentence. He went demented in the horse box. I would like to say that more often in my life. Uh, so, so, so I call it a horse trailer, but uh, it was frequently referred to as a horse box throughout the. It's a good name for it. Uh, yeah, throughout my research. Better name than Stud. Better name than Stud. Uh, anyway, so um, one of the guys also says, and I quote, he slipped on his own blood, which is like pretty morbid. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. Uh. And so, and so, it's so a two days um, after, Shur- uh, after the initial phone call where we got it like 6 a.m. saying that Shagar was dead. Um, two days after that phone call. That's also kind of funny because he's just like, Shigar's dead, never mind. Bye. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone go home. Um, so two days after that, Aga Khan received a phone call um, from the culprit requesting $2 million. Um, and the, the culprit um, used the same password that Fitzgerald had received. Okay, the original password. Yeah, yeah the original password. Um, Thompson did not know any of these passwords. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they they agreed to meet. So they were going to meet. Um, and at the meeting, um, you know how you know how in movies where they're like, "Come alone." Yeah. Uh, Aga Khan did not come alone. Right. Of course. <laughs> um, the police presence was too high, uh, and it raised alarms. So the culprit never showed up. Okay. Um, and so, so we have so we have that weird instance too. Um. And so, like, so, like, the idea is, is that um, theoretically, if the if the IRA did it, I mean, they're like a terrorist organization, so they were going to claim that they did it. Um, like, if you listen to our uh, our nine eleven episode, um, there were a lot of things that that Al Qaeda didn't do, but claimed that they did, mm-hmm. basically to make them seem more more you badass know, threatening more more credible capable, more threatening they do stuff so theoretically if they stole Shigar, you know you think they don't up to it that being said i can kind of see the other side and that they are the irish provisional army mm-hmm. so they're also trying to not screw over the irish people so if they stole their prize horse i could also see why they wouldn't own up to that yeah because they're trying to they're trying to win over the people yeah they're trying to be Ireland itself, and you can't just break yeah. Ireland's stuff. Exactly. Um, so a couple days later, uh, the culprits sent a photo of Shergar next to a newspaper of, of that specific day, you know, mm-hmm. showing what day it was. Um, and they sent this picture to a French newspaper to prove that Shergar was alive. But none of this was ever really followed up upon. So what I'm... What I feel like happened here was that their uh, like Shergar's disappearance was publicized. Yep. And so, a lot of people were like, "Dude, if we like call up some specific people and say that we have the horse, you know, theoretically we might be able to make away with two million dollars. Mm-hmm. Easy. We don't have the horse, but right. we could probably make it make make away with it. Yeah. And so that's what I think. That's who I think Thompson talked to. Okay. Um, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure uh, the guys who actually stole him talked to Aga Khan with, like, with the password, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and in uh, in Sean O'Callaghan's uh, book, though, um, we hear some of the passwords uh, that Thompson heard, as well as ones that Fitzgerald heard, and Fitzgerald didn't really tell anybody, nor did Thompson, so. It might have just been two different cells or something. I don't know, but it's it's it doesn't feel like the same people called those yeah, people. Yeah, it's not matching up exactly. Okay. Um, and so and so that's 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 theory number one. Okay. Um, and theory number two is of significantly shorter because there is far less information on this. People really think just the IRA did it. Okay. Um, and I also kind of think that the IRA did it. Um. But basically, other theories suggest that the horse was stolen by uh, uh, Colonel uh, Gaddafi. Colonel Gaddafi, uh, the ex-Libyan leader. Okay, he's like a big 
Libyan leader and Gaddafi. Yes, Gaddafi. Um, he, you know, like staged a coup and everything. Okay. Um, so newspapers claimed, uh, and like, and like, like big newspapers, like, like the Daily Post and, uh, the Independent both claimed, uh, that sources, uh, that they had saw him writing Shergar through the Libyan deserts. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. You saw some guy riding a horse. Good job. I mean, like, how distinctive does Shigar really look? He, he's he, got some white socks. He's a brown he's horse. Not a, he, he's not a unique-looking horse? Yeah, come on. He's a real normal-looking horse, guys. <laughs> um, but, like, but, I, mean, I mean, the question is, like, why would he want the horse as well? Because, like... So you can ride it through the desert and be badass. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of... Like when talking about conspiracy theories, there's a lot of like, sure, you know, let's let's play along. Say this did happen the way you think it did. Why did it happen? Right. You really have to ask the question why to really come to a solid conclusion. Because if there's no real reason why for him to do it, it's pretty unlikely. It's no pretty motive. unlikely. Yeah, there's no motive. There's no why go through all the effort of saying the moon doesn't exist. Now theoretically, um, he wanted to dethrone the Aga Khan. Okay. Um, I thought this was so that he could take the place as the Aga Khan, but theoretically, um, you know, it doesn't make too much sense because you're not just going to— That's not how that works. That That, that is well, um, but— That is not how that works either because the, um, the, you know, the imam is, uh, is a descendant. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a family yeah. lineage, so the way it, the way it works is like— the Ima- like Aga-, Aga Khan is the descendant of of uh, of uh, Hazrat Ali, who is uh, um, Ali is the first um, Imam of the Shia Ma- Shia Imam Ismaili Muslims, and he's the cousin slash son in law of Prophet Muhammad. So he is Muhammad's direct descendant. So, so basically, everyone after Ali has been a direct descendant of Ali and essentially Prophet Muhammad by that extent. So that 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 doesn't work to be able to replace him by killing you him. You can't you can't coup this one. Yep. Um so so he just wanted to dethrone him and um he would receive weapon uh weapons and money for his capture because theoretically, you know, some people don't want him in power. Yeah. I don't I know. know. I don't know. Anyway, just fuck shit up. it's a really loose theory. Yeah. It's it's solely stemmed on the fact that there's somebody out there who says that they saw him riding a horse. Yeah, hey, I saw him riding that horse. That brown, It was that brown horse, you know, with the white feet. I saw him riding it. Mm-hmm. This is the redneck in the Mojave Desert. <laughs> Mojave Desert? Well, I don't know what desert you said. I don't know where we are in the world. The Libyan Desert. Libyan Desert. I don't even know. Where's the Mojave Desert? The Mojave De- Desert's in California. California? <laughs> I don't even know where California is. What is that? On um, the planet? I believe it's on this planet. <laughs> okay. Um... Anyway, so 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 to this day, no group has been charged with the crime, and Shergar was never found. He was never seen again. Yep, poor Shergar. Poor Shergar. I hope he had. A, I hope he lived a happy life out in the desert with Gaddafi. You know, I kind of hope that he did too, um, but I'm pretty sure that he probably was just shot and slipped on his own blood, and was pretty and, unfortunate. And just died in the horse box. Yeah, you don't want to die in the horse box. That's not where you want to go. It's, it's not where you want to go. Um, so. That's 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 sort of the story of Shigar. Um Now, now, now there is some stuff that followed in his legacy. Um, 
some of his some of his offspring did did pretty okay, but none of them were as impressive as Shergar. Um, they made a movie uh, called Shergar. Great. Uh, you can watch it free on YouTube. I don't recommend it. It's a bad movie. Awful. It was terrible. So you watched I, it. I watched I sat through it. Um it is How long it's was like it? an hour and a half. It's loosely loosely based on the events that happen in the movie. Or not in the movie, in, in real life. <laughs> so so you have you have people at the start of the movie, they come and they and they take the horse. But then there's this like boy who's also in the movie and he's just like, I love I love horses. I'm an orphan. I love horses. I love you, Shergar. So I'm gonna I'm gonna escape with you, and we're gonna you know escape from the clutches of the bad guys. We're gonna meet this weird uh, tinker guy who literally is a nomad and walks around uh, all of all of Ireland and uh, makes money by racing horses. So this guy lives his dream and uh, you know <laughs> races a horse, but not Shergar. And uh, and then you know I guess this, I, I I should have said spoiler alert throughout this whole thing but uh you're not gonna watch it so <laughs> um but anyway hey you don't know who's gonna watch the movie it's just a bad movie uh spoiler alert here at the very end of the movie you see him uh the boy um on the back of shagar and and the bad guys have cut up and they all have guns and they're all pointed at him um and instead of getting shot uh shagar then jumps off a cliff with the boy, with the boy, um, <laughs> and so, and so they make it into the water, and and like the boy is knocked out, and the horse is nowhere to be seen. Um, and <laughs> this point is also really funny in the movie, uh, because like you have this whole, like you have all the bad guys surrounding surrounding this area. None of them could pull the trigger to potentially shoot, sh- like shoot a, a boy, little boy, or the horse, which which I understand. Yeah, but like. Basically, what happens is that, um, like, the boy's friends show up, and they're like, "Wait, where's the boy? Where's Shergar?" And just, and just, all of the bad guys are kind of just like walking away, just like really bummed. <laughs> <laughs> and they just like, like, I think one of them like points over to like the cliff or something, and then, and then I think another <laughs> one like shrugs or something. <laughs> like they all look really bummed. They're just like, okay, I guess we'll fucking go home. Uh, they went off the cliff, kid. I don't know. We're not gonna go over there and look. The We're kids just leaving. At the end of the movie, the kid's okay, and uh, Shigar just dissolved in the water. Sh- you see Shigar somewhere else on a cliff, like another rock somewhere else, Shigar. and he just rides away. <laughs> he just jumps off the other cliff too. <laughs> Shigar. Um. No. 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 This movie did have some star power. Um, it starred Mickey Rourke. Ooh. So, like, like he's a guy that people know. The wrestler. Wow. Uh, yeah, he, you It's from Iron Man too. Uh, he uh, so he he plays he plays the bad guy in this, and and the way that he goes is so funny because because he doesn't make it all the way to the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Once again, spoilers here. Uh, so basically, like him and like four other dudes are like driving in a car. And, um, like the police are out, you know, trying to find Shergar. And so, and so they're like everywhere. Um, and they get stopped at a police stop. And so, and so everyone in the car is like, oh no, what are we going to do? Even though they haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then Mickey works like, don't worry guys, I got this and pulls out a gun and then puts it back in his jacket. Um, <laughs> and then they like, and then they pull up to the police stop 
and uh and one of the soldiers like has them roll down their window and they're like hey where are you going and the guy like can't say anything he's like uh you know we're going to the farm and he's like where'd you guys come from he's like uh and he's like for whatever reason he's really hesitant at talking to these people even though they haven't done anything wrong i mean at least in that moment they didn't do anything wrong right um eventually like like the guy just stops, like stops talking, and Mickey Rourke and everyone else in the car starts pulling out pistols, and then the and the soldiers just unload on the car, <laughs> and they just kill everyone in the car. Like 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 Mickey Rourke's your big bad guy, and he just goes by just getting shot at a police stop. <laughs> Great movie's bad. Don't watch it. That's all I'm saying. I gave you all of the exciting moments right here. Uh, but anyway, um, so so there's also uh, a race um, called the Shergar Cup that was uh, named for Shergar as well, and it's you know raced to this day. So, so that's good, right? Is there a cliff at the end that all the there's horses not go a off? cliff at the end? <laughs> it's not boys. related to the movie. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's 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 the Shergar. You know, we don't know exactly what happened to him, but it very much seems as though. Probably the IRA mm-hmm. took and killed him. That's, uh, you know, and it, it's a very bold story all the way around. Yeah. People breaking out of prison in a helicopter. Uh, just stealing a famous racehorse is such a bold decision. Mm-hmm. Um, now, note that Shigar uh, does not really stack up against any American horses. Uh, I believe it's Secretariat that holds the uh, win record for... Uh, for like winning by X amount of lengths, it's more than ten. Mm. I don't, I don't remember what it is. But there it's is more a movie about Secretariat. Also, that's also true. It's probably better than Shergar. But does it have Mickey Rourke in it? <laughs> I, I don't, don't. Yeah, I don't think. I it don't does, think so. So it's probably worse movie than. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, that's gonna be this episode. That's yeah. gonna be it. That's gonna be it. Um, if you guys, right. if you guys, you know, like this episode, uh, you know, leave us, leave us a review on anywhere that you can leave a review for podcasts, uh, wherever you're listening, chances are you can leave a review for us. Yeah. Chances are you're on, you're listening to us on Apple podcasts or Google play or SoundCloud or Stitcher so or, or any other just, sort of place that you find us. Uh, we, Sure, if you find us somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to give a, a shout-out and a thanks. Um, at the beginning of this episode, uh, as you guys heard, um, I interviewed somebody because I didn't really know anything about horse racing. So I just want to give a shout-out um, to to someone who now I, now I, got, I guess I consider her as a friend now, uh, Susie Bird. Um, she is from, she's from New Mexico. Just like we are. Just like we are. Or, I mean, you know, we lived here. Uh, but she currently lives in Texas, and she doesn't do any horse racing or any training anymore. But uh, she was a huge help, and I just want to say thank you uh, to her, as well as um, uh, Kyle Danley, who was able to help me connect with her. So, once again, thank you to those specific people. Thanks, folks. Appreciate it. You helped Art. <laughs> you helped Art. Um and uh, you can find us on social media at MWRCast uh, on Facebook and Twitter. You can also uh, find our website, molderwasright.wordpress.com. Check us out there. We have all our sources. Um, as well as I'm 
not sure, but I might uh, leave up um, some source files to the full interview that you guys can listen to if you want to. Um, check out our Anchor app um, slash MWRcast. So check us out there. Um, we talk about an alternative fact. Shoot us an email. Yeah, shoot us an email. Mulder was right podcast. Uh, Mulder was right or cast, cast at gmail.com. Mulder was right cast at gmail.com. Yeah. Write us a right. Write about job, us Brendan. in your diary. Write about us in your diary. In your secret diary that you show no one. Dream about us. Uh, and then send us a picture of that diary paint entry. Paint what you think we look like. Yes. Um, <laughs> and show your mother. That call painting. into our anchor station. And uh, thanks, guys, for listening. And uh, we will see you next week when we're going to be talking about uh, something entirely different. We can't see them. We will. We will. We can't hear them. We don't perceive them in any way. Well, you will hear us next week when we talk about something entirely different. Thanks, guys. Wake, Wake up, up, sheeple. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs>